Today's episode of The Ringer FC is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code RINGERFC, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com. Before we get started, just want to tell you a little bit about what's happening on The Ringer. Our co-host... Ryan O'Hanlon has an awesome article about the soccer team that refuses to play Moneyball. It's a it's a piece about Schalke, but it's also a piece about modern football economics, and it's stuff that Ryan's been writing about a lot, you know, over the last year or so. But it's it's fascinating to see how Schalke has either discovered a new way to look at the wheel or is massively screwing up an ma- incredible infusion of talent in their squad. Uh, we also want to recommend that you check out One Shining Podcast. March is here. It's almost time for March Madness. The conference tournaments are going. So check out Titus and Tate on One Shining Podcast. They will be your guides through the madness that is March uh, for all your college basketball needs. Let's get on with the show. And welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and I am joined by my midfield generals, lieutenants, and corporals. I'm not going to say who's who. It's Ryan O'Hanlon. The Wembley curse <laughs> is real. Micah Peters. The Wembley curse is real. I will agree with you on that. And actually. live from Hoth, Donnie Kwok. <laughs> I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. Live from inside of... What is the name of those animals again? I forget. A Tauntaun, man. A Tauntaun. Gosh, you're such a millennial. Guys, God, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> Champions League is upon us, you know, with all the domestic leagues. A lot of the domestic leagues, with the exception of Italy, are pretty much wrapped up at this point, but we still have Champions League, and we still have incredible drama like what we just saw at Wembley Stadium, Juventus defeating Tottenham, uh, brilliantly defeating them for one half of three halves in this two-legged tie. But this is what it's all about, man. It's like when you see a game like Juve-Tottenham today, you're just like, this is the best sport, and uh, Tottenham is a small club. <laughs> we are going to talk about uh, Juventus and Tottenham. We are going to talk about everything that's kind of bubbling up in uh, in the game right now. We're going to do this by giving you the Ringer FC World Soccer Storyline Power Rankings. I think this is a great idea for the podcast. I think it, we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of great content out of it. <laughs> a great idea for the podcast for your idea. Yeah. You're- Number one is uh, Tim Weah played for PSG over the weekend. We are not doing Tim Weah yet. All right, guys, let's start with uh, the the great lady with Juventus, who just beat Tottenham. Uh, the Wembley curse is real. Ryan, uh, this is probably the most electrified I've seen our office watching a soccer match this calendar year. Yeah, I wasn't in the office for the U.S. Trinidad game. No, so I, that's I true. That like. <laughs> uh, give me some impressions from what you saw today. Uh, my impression at halftime was, holy shit, we need to accept and sort of interrogate the idea that Tottenham is just a better team than Juventus and what that <laughs> means for our reality. Yeah. Uh, and then Max Allegri uh, subbed on an extra fullback, took... Uh, Andrea Barzagli off the field before he... Uh, yeah, it was uh, Benatia. Well, he it? took Bar- Barzagli and Benatia off yeah. the field before Barzagli uh, tried to rip off both of Lindman <laughs> <Son's laughs> legs. on his ligaments. And uh, Juve gets two shots on goal, scores twice, and they're through. It, it's, uh, you know, you hate to... I, I shouldn't say you. I personally hate to 
talk about Champions League experience, but like Tottenham had this and then Juve just turned the switch for 15 minutes, got the two goals they needed and it's over. And it, it, it just really did feel like a, if you wanted to fulfill the narrative of Tottenham aren't Champions League experienced and Juve are, this is like your <laughs> evidence for that. There was a point during this game when uh, Micah, it was it sort of towards the end of the game, and Ryan said, Cialini lives for this shit. He lives for guys trying to lob him in the last 15 minutes of a game with a one-goal lead. Watching that, did you ever have a feeling, Micah, that Tottenham was going to get that last second goal? It looked as though they might, especially when Harry Kane was from an odds an offside position managed to, you know, pick out the far post with a header and it was just bouncing around on the top, like <laughs> on the line and Eric Lamella pulled up s- slightly. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, at, I knew it was, it, it was, it had to be over after that because you were yeah. not going to get a better chance. Um, and also Ryan, you don't want to talk about experience, but Giorgio Cellini <laughs> in a post game interview with uh, ITV football, said, quote, and I quote, we knew Spurs were weak in defense and fragile mentality, <laughs> experience told. <laughs> did Chiellini then take a mask off and it was clock? <laughs> Dottie, I mean, did you have any silver, like, did this make you feel at all better to watch Spurs go crashing out of Europe, Europe's most prestigious competition right before you guys well, go crashing out definitely. of Europe's less <laughs> prestigious hey, competition? We, we lasted longer than they did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, to that point, though, what you guys were just talking about, like, Everybody's kind of crediting Allegri with this technical masterclass, and granted, he made two very smart subs. But whenever I see that, like somebody changed the game, to me, it's kind of like, well, did that means he started the game incorrectly? No, unless you're thinking about these matches and these Champions League two leg ties in terms of basically four quarters, you know. And he yeah. he had something for that fourth quarter, uh, Donnie. I mean, I don't know. We were talking about this in the in the LA office a lot, but it just felt like. Allegri said, if you're going to win, you're going to beat us with Ben Davis crosses. And that's like that. It's about it's like that Belichickian idea of like making people do things that they're uncomfortable doing and taking away the things that they're good at. Yeah. And to be fair, though, you know, it was like they were hanging by a thread in the last 10 minutes. So, yeah, I felt I felt pretty confident that they I don't know. there's nothing I would like. I would literally rather like it's. Trying to play against Juventus with a one goal lead where you have to tie the game up is like you have to. It's it's like the classic chain to the radiator type deal where you have to saw your own foot off. Uh, I mean, the blocks like and deflections were just amazing. yeah. It's, it was yeah. But I mean, the thing you can compare it to, you can compare it to the first leg where Juventus is up two nothing, and then they get pinned back. And we talked about it last time. They're getting pinned back, but. Tottenham is creating great chances like down the middle with through balls or Dembele sort of exploiting space or Erickson getting like the ball in the top of the box. This was, Juve was pinned back, but they were pinned back in a way where the ball literally every time went out to Ben Davies and he lobbed it into the box. What did Harry Kane wins the one header and they they almost score. Um, But other than that, it was all a ton of chances, but they were super low quality chances, I thought. So uh, one last question about this Juventus-Tottenham tie. One is, do you think it's weird that Tottenham has gotten all this distance with this golden generation of players and they might just be Arsenal. <laughs> like they might just be fourth place out in the round of 16 every year. Uh, no, because they got screwed by getting 
joined up with Juventus in the yeah, round of 16. They won their group with Real Madrid. Yeah, it's super fun. I mean, like, the thing is that right, they, like they Arsenal were under, never got screwed with Bayern. No. <laughs> this is Barcelona. a totally— uh, That was a—how how did it go last year with Arsenal and Bayern Munich? Was it—what uh, was the average? It, it was a decided <laughs> victory in decided. What were you going to say, Micah? No, I was going to say that um, they were written off as soon as the draw came out because they had Dortmund and Real Madrid in their group. Sure. They, so they can, they can yeah, I mean, like they, be happy with their performance this year. In, yeah, in and I mean, with that, after— that three you forget that they beat Madrid with Wanyama and um I mean like they didn't have their ideal two man their their midfield. Mm-hmm. Um and then you get into the second round. And the thing is that they, they were the better team for three quarters of both legs. Yeah. yeah. And it was just the la- like it was fifteen minutes and it was enough for Juventus. All right, let's talk about a team that has been is very familiar with their with this Champions League and they've they're back to back defending champions and they the Real Madrid came through, and even though everybody has pretty much been throwing dirt on them for most of this season, they dispatched, albeit without Neymar, they dispatched PSG. So, Ryan, what did you think of what Real did to PSG, and does this mean that they are serious contenders for the Champions League? Uh, it's Ewing theory, but it's for Ewing theory for basically Madrid's entire first 11. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, like, I, I have said it, uh, we've talked about it, like, We've had articles on our site about it, how Zinedine Zidane is sort of the ultimate roll the ball out there. We have the best players. Sure. That's all we need to do, manager. And this game, a bunch of people were injured um, or like half fit. He played a, a new formation, a four four two with, you know, one holding midfielder, Casemiro and uh, Kovacic next to him and two kind of shuttling more defensive style wingers in Asensio and Lucas Vasquez with two strikers. And it just, it worked so well. Yeah. PSG had more possession, but Real totally dominated the, uh, like the chance balance of chance creation. And it was, you know, it's, I think Zidane's tactics work out when you're playing against PSG and PSG even has less of an idea of what they're trying to do. But it was, it's to me, it was the best sort of tactical performance uh, I've seen of the Zidane era. On one hand, you can say like somebody like Barcelona with the league pretty much in hand, they can concentrate on the Champions League. But you can also flip that and say Real Madrid is in uncharted territory trying to defend the title for the third time in a row. And if they don't have to worry about the league, they'll make the Champions League. Mm -hmm. They could concentrate almost entirely on on making sure guys are fit for these Champions League ties. Yeah, they might have to win uh, the Champions League to get in it next year. Really? I mean, not really. Sevilla is like nine points behind them, but... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micah, what did you see? Who is the most impressive player for you in this Real Madrid team in this in, in the match against PSG? It's tough to not say Marcus Asensio because yeah. of uh, who did he uh, put it right between Dani Alves's legs for the uh, for the uh, second goal? I mean, like Ronaldo had already effectively won it with that header at the mm-hmm. back post or whatever. But then I think that. I want to say it's Lucas Vasquez, but just because I was talking cash money shit about Lucas Vasquez before the game started. You called him an effort merchant. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> is this your phrase, or is this something that you like you saw somewhere else? Effort I, merchant. I want to say that I want to say that I saw it somewhere else, but I can't remember exactly where I Maybe saw it. Maybe it came to you in a dream. Possibly. <laughs> claim I think it. I got. Just I, claim it. Just claim <laughs> it. So for I, people who don't know what an effort merchant is, explain it to them. I mean, an effort merchant is just the person that is. Like the person in a pickup game that fouls you all the time and calls a good defense, or the person that is always a step behind the play but looks like they're running super hard. Right. And it's just kind of like you're not actually doing anything, but you get run out on the side because 
it looks like you're always doing something. So let me ask you a controversial question. Is Buffon an after effort merchant? Is Buffon an effort merchant? <laughs> Hugo Lloris would be more of an effort merchant really? than Really? Yeah. Really? Because yeah. Lloris seems like way more kind of elegant and composed, whereas Buffon, I feel like if it's impossible to say what Buffon does wrong, because as soon as anything does go wrong, he's screaming bloody murder at his defenders, so you're just like, oh, it must have been, it must have been Chiellini's fault. Hugo Lloris got shit from Hatfield, like, like by coming true. out, like, uh, <laughs> running out Hugo 37 Lloris yards. Is, is an effort merchant because he's always coming off of his line and just running around. Uh, Buffon is a He's a post-play effort merchant. Okay. Yeah. As in, like, I'm going <laughs> to grab Giorgio Cellini by, by the, the collar of his shirt and scream at his face how much he means to me. I Donnie, love these distinctions. <laughs> I know, seriously. Donnie, do you expect us to see a much different-looking Real Madrid roster next season? Well, I guess it begins and ends with number seven, right? I yeah. mean, if, if he leaves, then it inevitably changes the whole face of the squad. But first of all, I want Brian to give some credit to Mr. Ronaldo. Ryan. Uh, congrats on the goal, Cristiano. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> Great job. Messi has uh, almost double Ryan, the amount of assists that you've for those who don't know, Ryan, For those who don't know, Ryan <laughs> insists that Cristiano Ronaldo is now quote-unquote washed. He is, though. He is, but he's but also still like here's the thing. top a, two a players in the world. A version of Cristiano Ronaldo is better than almost every other player. Are we entering the Kobe zone with him where this team that's a, can't... That's a good way to put it. This team can't move forward without with, with him. You know, they're, they're, they're going to keep playing out the string as being built around Ronaldo while Ronaldo's on the team. And when he leaves, they can reimagine themselves. They can, they can sign 10 different players or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the Ewing theory thing, uh, just to bring it up, well, I guess we'll, I'll just bring it up literally every time we talk about anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, you can see it with Ronaldo, though, because... His scoring numbers are absolutely insane, but he doesn't. You just watch the game; he he's not doing anything else on the field for the most I'll say part this, at this though. point. I'll say this though: you know, obviously, you mentioned the numbers, but he has that talismanic like quality, that intangible. I think. I mean, not to sound corny or anything, but when you when when the players see him on the pitch, I feel like it. You know, it's just like we're going to win or we're going to score, and that's why he's the leading scorer in Real Madrid history and for his country too. Wow, that's, that's stirring stuff. I feel like I'm in Friday Night Lights. <laughs> well, Let's keep it moving. Uh, number three on our power rank, our story power ranking, storyline power ranking here is Jose Mourinho, who has now completed his transformation into DC Comics villain. <laughs> Michael, please explain. <laughs> okay, so Jose Mourinho signed on to be a World Cup pundit for RT, uh, which is which used to be Russia Today. Now it's just been shortened to the less... To the less friendly RT, and it's, it's like when it, Kentucky Fried Chicken went to KFC. Yeah, it's RB Leipzig. It's a network funded by the Kremlin, <laughs> one that the U.S. Department of Defense defines as a foreign agent because <laughs> of uh, how it spins the news towards Russian audiences. Um, it also used to have a sh like Julian Assange used to have a show on the network that he uh, broadcasted from inside of the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And <laughs> <laughs> do we know who Julian Assange supports soccer wise? Uh, he must Silk City. He's Ecuadorian, so he probably supports Man U. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but the funny, the funny part about this is the funniest because there are many funny parts. Is the fact that RT doesn't have rights to broadcast the World Cup games, <laughs> so, so they have just... like live text commentary, quote unquote, <laughs> and Jose Mourinho just talking about just just spitting out takes. One of my first gigs ever writing about soccer was the two thousand. 
2012 World Cup? Is there two World no, Cup in 2012? Euros. I, but it, I thought it was the World Cup. I was basically doing live blogs for the Wall Street Journal, and it occurred to me midway through the live blog where I was like, is there somebody who's only experiencing the World Cup through this live blog? <laughs> like, is there anybody who can't see the World Cup? But it's like, I think I'll check out the Wall Street Journal and see. That's going to be like, what, you know, like, I'm not going to watch the World Cup. I'm just going to watch RT. I've definitely followed games via live blog well, before. Yeah. Do you, you guys are older. Do you guys... I feel like Mourinho could be like a fucking amazing oh, commentator. Let's, or, let's, or obviously. let's be 100% yeah, I mean, clear. He will be an incredible commentator. It'll yeah. be, Once he's sure he's not going to take another club job, he will be next level. Because yeah. all those guys are, man. Wenger's great. Like, no, like a lot of these managers really see the game in a way that it's so hard to see. Well, it's seeing the game Bruce in a way Arena that's hard to see, too. but also like <laughs> Jose Mourinho has that kind of extra quality where he's already a conspiracy theorist. Yes. Like it's and it's any time like just it choose any post match commentary after like after any United game and it is. But what I'm wondering is like all of his good comments come from like a place of him trying to defend himself or defend his players. If the people in the World Cup aren't directly scorning Mourinho, how is he going to like generate the the necessary level of... I have no idea. I'm just really into the idea of him. He's just such... You know, him living alone in a hotel, benching <laughs> Pogba. Lowry You know, just winning, right. grinding out these one nothing wins. It's just like he's just becoming such an interesting character. How long until he's indicted by Robert Mueller? <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can, I take a, can I take a quick straw poll for, of, of you guys? Sure. Who's your favorite current pundit? Football pundit. Ooh. Uh, I personally... This is random, based on one Monday Night Football appearance. Really liked Wayne Rooney. Oh, he was good. Yeah, was I really, really liked Von Song Company. The like the one time he was in the studio during Boy, you crushed that first a, a little pronunciation, <laughs> a little a little bland, a little bland, Micah. But yeah, but I mean, like Ryan, what about you? Uh, Shep Messing. Who? <laughs> Who's that? Uh, I'm kidding. It's not Shep Messing. Shout out to Shep Messing, though. <laughs> Former uh, New York Cosmos goalie from, like, the 70s. Is it Jamie Carragher? Uh, no, I think my favorite, I mean, the best sort of bits of commentary that I've seen are all from Henri, but it's mainly just Henri talking about what it's like to play for Guardiola. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's so good at breaking it down and kind of... A lot of people don't like Henri, actually. But he's but... good at, he's good at like, being, like, the results are really important here, but, like, that's not all we can analyze, and we have to sort of analyze like what these teams are like the systems in place and I, also, I, I appreciate that. I really, I really like, good reaction I like Jermaine shots too. Genius oh, yeah. is good. He's good. Uh, Donnie, who were you going to say? I was actually going to say Carragher. Well, Carrag- how come? Because I don't think some of our listeners may not know about about Monday Night Football and what Jamie Carragher does. So tell, tell them about it. Well, he's actually on Sky Sports now with, um, he's usually paired with Gary Neville. And so the two of them are very almost comically blunt in their assessments after games. And, and and so it's kind of rare to see like retired players not hold back punches, I guess, when in their commentary. But um, basically, if you look at the if, if you look at the Daily Mirror or the Sun or the Mirror, which I know Ryan does every day <laughs> on, on, the, on the after a week in a Premier League games, like Carragher and Neville produce so many headlines with what they say. Yeah, guys um, get really worked up about getting criticized the, by them. And plus Carragher, the Scouse accent, it's just hilarious to listen to him talk. But just recently, actually, I just did a quick Google of what they talked about over the weekend. And here's a couple things that Carragher said. 100% sure that Eden Hazard wants out of Chelsea. Sanchez and Pogba are like two kids in a schoolyard playing wherever they want. 
And for Everton, he said, it's obviously the players are physically and mentally weak. <laughs> I like that last one. That's yeah. good. I wish I could do the accent, but and when he says yeah, it, the, they're weak. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. <laughs> I knew it when it was coming out. Um, Ryan, we were talking about Jose being a pundit for the World Cup. Let's talk a little bit about a future World Cup. Morocco 2026, buy your tickets. Yeah. Morocco 26, 2020. Why uh, is this uh why is this important? Uh so it's essentially been assumed that the US, Canada, Mexico joint bid for the 2026 World Cup is going to win because as of a month ago, the Morocco bid uh didn't even have a website. Um and just essentially seemed like a it was just like someone else has to bid, so like, we're just going to say that it's Morocco. And then FIFA was like, hold my beer. Yeah, and then first Sepp Blatter, you know, Sepp Blatter was just an awful sort of president of FIFA and a terrible influence on the sport in a lot of ways. But his influence actually kind of still matters, I think. Uh, and he came out and said that he thinks Morocco should get the bid. And then Sam Borden of ESPN FC reported that Morocco is actually the favorite. And this is sort of the choice... Uh, paragraph where he says the North American bid has had to counter an anti-American sentiment that stems largely from the actions taken by President Donald Trump's administration. Those actions include a travel ban affecting mostly Arab countries, public comments that perpetuate stereotypes, and the reported use of profanity in describing poorer countries. So essentially... I, I agree with everything Seth Blatter was saying there. You know, I mean, no, like, I, that I, wasn't Blatter. That no, was... I know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I understand the sentiment about that. Also, I would say that the um, U.S., Mexico, Canada bid. It doesn't seem like super convenient in terms mm. of like if you were traveling to try like yeah, I mean, follow teams, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think something like sixty percent of the games would be in the U.S. Okay, but what they're now doing is they're trying to make it feel like it's more of a joint bid. The Americas. Mm, they right. don't want the U.S. They want to push the Mexican um, part of it to sh sort of show the... unity <laughs> and Yeah, um, and so and... Sunil Gulati was leading the bid, and now it's he's been taken off of that, and now it's sort of a joint co-committee at the top. So we had Kyle Martino on Ringer FC a couple of weeks back. He was running for U.S. soccer president. He did not win. Carlos Cordero did, and it was largely assumed that one of the reasons why he was elected was to seal the deal with this bid, correct? Yeah, and he, his, he himself came out when he was elected and said, this is my main priority, getting the World Cup. And it was in, it's interesting bringing up the conversation with Kyle. I remember we sort of, both of us were kind of like, you know, the U.S. is going to get the next World Cup. And he was like, actually, if you have that attitude, that's the way that you don't end up with the World Cup. Um, and now this is happening. So, you know, the whole sort of the half fullest glass version of the Carlos Cordero presidency was that he would get the U.S. the World Cup. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, it's it, it's not a stretch to just be like the presidency was already a complete failure. Micah, are you gonna be really disappointed if we don't have the World Cup 2026? I mean, honestly, it's not gonna break my heart. But Wait, so is, is Qatar definitely happening? Sorry to cut you off, Micah. No, that's the thing. Is that I, I yeah, I mean, it's Qatar. I think Qatar has to go through now, almost because of money spent. Not that's not my personal preference. That's just my opinion. That it would just be at this point. I don't understand how you take it away from them. You're th we're, we're we're four years out from it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like this has to happen. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it couldn't. It might not happen. I just feel like there's there's sort of a story every month where it's like 
talking about cutter rights violations. Yeah. Not in addition to that, just cutter in danger of, of losing the World Cup. Talking about moving the, well, the also, wait, I lost track of that. Did they actually talk about moving the, they talked about moving when the World Cup would be played because it's already, it's, that's already been, that's, if it's in Qatar, Qatar, it's going to be in the winter. That's already, if that's yeah. decided. Yeah. <sighs> I'm not into that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number five on the storylines power rankings is Manchester City. And uh, Donnie, for most of the year, we've been talking about, well, I mean, obviously we talk mostly about Pep when we talk about City. But KDB has been the guy that we talk about when we talk about City. His his array of passing from central midfield, which is where Guardiola shifted him sort of in a little bit. And he's been arguably the player of the year in the Premier League. But you've got a guy on City that you think is their most indispensable player now. Leroy. Leroy Sané is just the man of the moment right now in the Premier League. And it just it's a, a testament to the depth or how many attacking options that City has that it seems like. I mean, KDB has kind of been consistent throughout the year as far as getting the plaudits, but it, Aguero, Jesus, uh, Sterling had, a, you know, a really hot stretch. But right now, Sané, I mean, granted, I just watched him obliterate my team twice in the span of, what, a week, so... Um, what team do you root for? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think right now, as far as uh, the most electrifying player in the league, it's hard to say it's not Sané because every time he has the ball on that left wing, he's making defenders miserable. And he's really kind of, I don't know, kind of uh, become sort of the you know, creator and the, the the player that City looks to, to kind of, um, whether assisting or scoring, uh, make it happen in the final third. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, like, it's the, I mean, like, against Arsenal, I'm sorry, this brings up, a, you know, traumatic memories for you. Uh, him cutting, like, across the left and basically beating, like, the entire right side of your defense and then finding Bernardo Silva to pick out the, the top corner, he almost did the, the exact same thing against Chelsea over the weekend. Um, and it's just kind of like him running at you full speed and defenders are terrified to make a challenge because then they'll give up a PK. And it's, it's actually also similar to Sterling in that uh, Sané has really, it's, you know, kind of the cult of Pep here again, but Sané's kind of been given the tough love treatment from Guardiola from last season to this season. He even got, you know, Sané was pulled off at halftime not too long ago, I guess, in the FA Cup against Wigan when uh, City lost. Uh, but, you know, Sané obviously credits a lot of his development to Pep, but whatever Pep's doing and whatever he's telling Sané to do is working, and, and it's kind of amazing to see. He's the, he's the player you really can't take your eyes off of when you watch City these days. Yeah, the, the th interesting thing about Sané to me is that, you know, we talk about sort of outlet players, right, and like target men in soccer. And, you know, you, you have that sort of focal point that you find uh, when you're moving the ball up the field to sort of establish your attack in the attacking third, right? And Sané is actually that guy for Man City. Like basically every move forward, the, the final pass into the final third finds Sané out on the left side. Yeah. And then they go from there. And it's just, it's kind of becoming a common thing in modern soccer that the wingers are sort of becoming the the outlet guys rather than the center forwards. Um, Why do you think that is? Just it's because the space in the center is so crowded. Interesting. Um, and then, you, you know, you get Sané in space. And I think it's, I saw someone said this, like Sané would have thrived in any era, basically. Like back <laughs> when you just had to get down the line and cross the ball, he would have been amazing. You know what Carragher said? 
What do you say? Ryan Giggs at his best. <laughs> and that's actually, yeah, that's, that's a huge compliment. Though. Yeah, that's, it is. It is. I it, mean, just I, a funny, it was a funny analog. So Manchester City won. Uh, they lost to FC Basel on uh, Wednesday uh, 2-1, but they went through 5-2 on aggregate. So they'll be into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. We'll be back to talk about more storylines uh, in the world of soccer just after this word from our sponsors. Today's episode of Ring RC is brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone and it is by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I was actually just using my SeatGeek app to see about a Ringer FC outing to LAFC who begin their match play in April, I believe, in LA. Can't wait. We need more soccer in Los Angeles. Carlos Vela. I know. The LA. Is that, is that the LAFC? SeatGeek <laughs> is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And you get more bang for your buck because SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every SeatGeek purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, Ringer FC listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERFC today. That's promo code RINGERFC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat right now, right from your phone. Today's episode of the Ringer FC is also brought to you by Bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years of experience, Bookmaker.eu is your online bookmaker for all your football betting needs. I'm looking at you, Micah. Both professional and recreational. It offers live in-progress betting on English Premier League, Champions League, World Cup matches, and more. And this allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from the start up to the final whistle. Bets are then graded within seconds and your account is credited instantly. Plus, with mobile betting, you can access your bookmaker betting account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. No download is necessary. No wonder Bookmaker has been mentioned in many major media outlets, including the New York Times, Forbes, ESPN, CBS Sports, and is known by the pros as where Vegas goes for the opening line. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC today to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. That's bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. U.S. bettors accepted. All right, guys, we got some other storylines we want to get to before we get out of here today. Number six, Micah. Like to talk about Eintracht Frankfurt fans throwing tennis balls onto the field during, <laughs> during a, a tie with a Red Bull Leipzig. Um, in you can't February. say that. You can't say that. Sorry. RB Leipzig. You're gonna get a RB Leipzig. Red Bull's gonna come after you. Me. Are you do, do, do you work for Red Bull? What was that about? Uh, I'm. I have to defend. Uh, Corporations, someone's mm. got to do it. You know, right. I heard somebody, <laughs> somebody has to defend the corporations. Another quick snap poll for you guys. I heard about this from Zach Schwartz, our buddy over in, on the social team at the Ringer. Have you guys ever drank a snorkel? Do you know what that is? Mm. I've never heard of that. Is it like f- for loco? It's like when you pour so- a third of Red Bull out 
then put vodka in and then shotgun it. Is that Lindsay? He went to ASU. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and Donnie, say this. Is, this is just too too young for you, right? Now we call that the low hand over here. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> All right, sorry to interrupt. Back to the Bundesliga, though. All good. New TV deal uh, with the DFL, and there uh, it opens up six new slots. One that's one thirty p.m. on a Sunday, and five matches on Mondays in the 2017-18 season. That's that shit they don't like. <laughs> that's the shit that Bundesliga fans don't like. Uh, there's basically a lot of fans feeling left behind by the commercialization of the game. Uh, Dortmund, Osberg, another home game towards the end of February. Twenty more than twenty thousand fans didn't turn up to the Westfalen Stadium. I'm going to get actually to hell probably by anybody on Twitter, <laughs> if not somebody on this podcast. Yes. But could the German soccer fans maybe worry about the monopoly that's been facing their game for the last like 20 years and worry about Bayern Munich buying all the good players in Germany every season and destroying competition <laughs> instead of being crybabies if I have to go to a fucking soccer match on a Monday night? Like, what is the deal here? I think it's, I, I, I for one think it's super live that fans are just kind of like, listen, we have to go to work on Tuesday. We can't be out at on Monday night. Or whatever, but um, but if they put like half the energy they put into tifos and protesting, like Monday night football, into maybe there's something wrong with how this works. If Bayern keeps doing this, am wait, I wrong? So that, yeah, but wait. at the same time, were you not like talking to extolling the virtues of watching the Bundesliga to me like yeah. a couple months ago, where it's just kind of like you can we're talking about ambiently. Exactly. If I was a Schalke fan, I would be pissed the off. Amb- like the amb- the obvious of it is in- is extremely important because if the fans aren't showing up to the game because they feel pissed about having Dude, to get a game a on Monday night. It's just a bunch of dudes scoring 4-2 on each other. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, like the the the, the highlights from the from the Osberg game. I mean, like uh, uh, Mario Goats after the game said that it didn't really affect the team at all, but yeah. at the same time, it's just like you... You watch the the you watch the Bundesliga for like the playoff atmosphere. Vibes. Yeah, you yeah. watch it for the vibes. vibes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, you got to make capitalism work for you, right? <laughs> if you, it's a classic O'Hanlon. You, know, you, you can't, you know, Jesus Christ. As long as that's a thing, and as long as soccer is like a pretty open market, Bayern Munich is just going to exist in the way they they exist. So, yeah. you know, the fans want the games to at least be on the times where they want to watch. Um, so, I think. That's a thing that they can probably maybe affect some change. I don't think they're ever going to, like, reduce inequality in the Bundesliga. Uh, I don't think the fans have power to do that. I like th- I like this, to be honest. Like, because I think about the Premier League and it's like, you know, we have the holiday fixtures and the s- stadiums are just full the entire time. Yeah. The fans are never it's like, great. let's think about, like, let's whether turn our this backs. is a good thing. You know, the one place they are doing that is, is Arsenal, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Wait, so this pro- does this protest actually work? It got um, a lot of coverage. It, got, it, a, it got a lot of no, coverage. No, they're not, they're not going to have Monday night games, the guy that, like, the Dortmund owner was just kind of like, yeah, that's it's fucked up, man. The of the universe bends towards money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. Normally, no one is ever they... going to start hating money. It's it's going to be what it is. Um, they're going to end up getting their team docked points, right? That's usually what happens in these types of scenarios. Is it punitive like that? I'm not well, sure. Well, it's if they keep like launching tennis balls onto the field, may, maybe, but just not going to the games. I think is is the most effective way. And like you're saying, Micah, that is a huge selling point for the Bundesliga internationally is to have these stadiums that are literally vibrating and like there's you know tr- trains going through them with beer on it and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. The uh, other thing we should say about the Bundesliga is that it's super stratified, but the Bundesliga to me is the league where 
any two teams playing, I could watch, and it would be an enjoyable experience. I agree. Yeah. Like, watching Stoke and Southampton, I have no interest in that. But, like, Augsburg and Frankfurt, like, sign me up. Frankfurt's in fourth place, too, and they don't, they can't afford to Yeah, Schalke's in second. I mean, I, we could talk a little bit about the Bundesliga now if you want. I, I did find— That's I, the, your league. The Dortmund, the Dortmund story this year, which is one that I think we've been following pretty closely on Ringer FC over the season, over the years— uh, you know they they've they've kind of they've shorted up, but do you feel like this is the new level for this team, a a, a distant third from Bayern? Mm, I don't think it should be. I mean, talent wise, they still have a ton of talent. Um, and the thing with them, they've shorted up, but their uh their schedule has not been like they have. They obviously Leipzig is tough, but other than that, they've played sort of lower to mid tier teams. And the it's interesting because Peter Bosch, the team was producing a ton of chances um, and like numbers wise look decent and now the numbers aren't that good but the results are there so it's it's going to be an interesting decision for Dortmund this summer to be do you want to keep Stoger who it really seems like the team has a pretty low ceiling but the floor is probably pretty high yeah, right or do you you know go out and get Wenger to coach you next year you oh. know <laughs> oh. um, from Germany let's jump over to Italy well sort of we're going to talk about a Brazilian in Italy and it might be the best Brazilian player currently playing Brian yes. tell me a little bit about Allison uh, Allison um, the best looking goalkeeper on the planet not named Loris Karius for starters I, I mean, we spent a very an embarrassing amount of time yesterday going through pictures of these two Google images just Lor- Loris Karius is the most important person in the world because of his San Antonio Spurs jacket, just FYI. Ryan, his why is, with why did Allison make this list of 10 important storylines? So he's sort of the, you know, <laughs> one, one thing we should say, this Allison is the nailed-on starter for the Brazilian national team over Ederson. Like, it's not even a question in Brazil who's going to be starting. So for anyone who's seen Ederson play, that should kind of, just that should give you a sense of how good Allison is. But to me, this guy, like, I I can't recall ever seeing a keeper feel this like bouncy and he's big but has incredible reflexes and like is very aggressive with saving the ball like he wants to like hurt the ball when anyone shoots at him and it's like he'll make a save and he'll just pop back right up and scramble across the net with his hands down like he's a hockey goalie there's something (laughs) like there's it's just a really i i don't watch soccer to watch keepers that's not you know what that's right. can I, what can I, I interrupt enjoy? you for a second Ryan? i knew you were go ahead yeah. <laughs> right just just uh just to make this all relative i think ryan tends to overrate keepers a little bit it's kind of like if you own a really 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 shitty car and you see like a new honda civic <laughs> <laughs> you're like that's the fucking most amazing vehicle i've Damn, ever seen walk it off be- <laughs> because it has automatic windows God, I, mean, I, I can't <laughs> my own honda on fire <laughs> i can't stop talking about my my Kia, so you are right. Oh, sorry, um, sorry, as you were. No, but it, he's he's right. I've been I am f- extremely traumatized by the experience of rooting for Simone Minule, um and occasionally Brad Jones even. Um, but so over the weekend, Roma played Napoli. Uh, Allison had eleven saves. That's a lot of saves. Uh, and Roma beat Napoli four to two. And like that might be Napoli's season right there. Donnie, you are the Armand White of goalkeeping. Is there anything wrong with Allison's game you'd like to point out? I'm just scrolling through his Google images. I don't think he's a... I think Karius is more handsome than he is. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to number eight here, and it is PSG, who went crashing out of the Champions League, much to the chagrin of everybody who is deeply invested in the Qatari royal families. 
investments coming true. Micah, talk to me a little bit about um, what a billion dollars looks like on the field. Oh, man. <laughs> the, the thing is that, like, PSG just didn't look up for it. In the, I mean, like, they created this massive atmosphere at the Parc de Prince, and they was just kind of like, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to turn around this 3-1 deficit. Can and I, then, uh, can what I quick, was that with all the fireworks and stuff? Can I quickly like, read the, this quote that sums everything up? Please. Arrigo Saki, the, the famous Italian manager, he said, I thought I was going to see a Paris Saint-Germain team with a knife between their teeth, but we ended up seeing Real Madrid with a, with a cigar in their mouth. It turns out Arrigo Saki <laughs> oh my is God. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> wow, I, I don't even want to talk anymore about the game. But I mean, like, Marco Verratti just kind of being Marco Verratti. Uh, he was already sitting on a yellow card and then late in the game kind of seals it for PSG by arguing over not getting a penalty call. And it's just kind of like he's 25 and it's just kind of like he's never going to grow out of that, I think, at this point. Does Neymar being hurt save Unai Emery's job? Unai Emery, the, the somewhat mm. besieged manager of PSG. All managers of PSG are somewhat besieged. At this point, we're talking about is Emery going to get fired mid-season or after the season? I don't think it's even a question. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, his contract is up at the end would, of the season anyway. That would and, suck because he wouldn't win the, the French League. He didn't win last <laughs> year. Uh, Jose for PSG? Arson. <laughs> you think it's going to be Arson? That would be funny to see. Arson, I... Imagine see, trying to get, like, Jose Mourinho trying to get Neymar to track back. <laughs> that, the, do you, let me ask you guys a question. Um, I know Chris, as a sort of a seasoned investor, we... An investor will tell you to diversify your portfolio. Uh, <laughs> w- did we see the folly of spending $300 million on two players? Yes. And this is what happens if one of them gets hurt. I think so. It I, I depends on what you want. I, 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 look, PSG, to their credit, is Jose Mourinho's kid's favorite team. And I think for a lot of 13-year-olds out there, they're the team that they think of as Barcelona that we thought as Barcelona has. Yeah. You know, they, they have the PSG best players. Shirts. They're the coolest. They, have, they play in a major European capital. They seem swagged out. They got a lot of Brazilians. Like that, to me, is like, wait, if you're a young kid, that's seductive. Absolutely. But I mean, it, it's and it's and it's tragically bad luck to have the one player that you bought for 220 million euros in the summer, like, unavailable for the one game you bought him for. Yes. Um, but also spending 400 mil on Kylian Mbappe and Neymar means that you kind of forget about the things that you needed, which is what you needed at the beginning of the season, really, which were outside backs and holding midfielders. So you end up buying Las Diara, or signing Lastiara from <laughs> semi-retirement at Al Jazeera, yeah. who's 32 and having him play major <laughs> minutes. And then you also have... Uh, 35-year-old Tiago Mata. <laughs> and uh, I mean, like Yuri Barashish, yeah. who is who was twenty eight and making his uh, Champions League debut yeah. in the first leg, and then a, just getting up there, Danny Alves on the other side. Yeah, can Danny, I say one thing though? Yeah, sure. R.I.P. F.C. Mets. They're playing Mets on Saturday. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they have, and they have all all the money in the world to spend on uh, kicking their ass now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donnie from the top of the the league. Uh, Let's go to the bottom of the Premier League, but not quite the very bottom. I want you to tell me a little bit about why Swansea City is one of the 10 most important stories in soccer in the last couple of weeks. Well, Swansea, improbably, has been unbeaten in five of the last six matches. And, and most people are paying attention because of uh, the new manager, Carlos Carvajal, who 
has kind of just strutted into the Premier League. And brought, brought that Spanish Armada vibe back to, great the, quotes. to Swansea, yeah. I mean, he's a man of amazing metaphors, uh, whether it's music or cars. or He's actually close friends with Mourinho, too. He's Portuguese, uh, so we won't hold that against him. But uh, Swansea last year, if you remember, was like, you know, in the relegation places for most of the season and just miraculous. I mean, now last year was when they, <clears throat> excuse me, had Bob Bradley for a little bit and... <laughs> They brought in Paul Clement, and he kind of helped turn it around. It wasn't as dramatic as it's been this season, though, because Swansea was left for dead. I mean, everybody had them being— 13 uh, points. Relegated uh, not too long ago, but now they're up to, amazingly— I mean, of course, it's like by, uh, you know, small margins here, but they're in 13th place. And it's really— and nobody would have predicted it, I don't think. But I also want to highlight. You gotta, you gotta talk talk, talk about your boy, a very special player close to uh, close to my heart, Ki Sung Young, who uh, many people don't know actually is the Korean with the most Premier League appearances. He actually passed Park Ji Sung of Manchester United this season, uh, and he's been kind of key to the revival. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's kind of a a player that I think managers love to have because he's very tactically aware and very technically sound and everything goes through him when you watch Swansea play. I mean, he touches the ball a lot. He creates, he doesn't score that often, but he scored a couple goals in the last few matches and his specialty is kind of these long range, well, grass cutters, you know, these like long shots that you don't think are going to go in and somehow find the corner. Uh, his contract's actually up at the end of the season and I've already seen bigger teams whispering, AC Milan even. Uh, he was going to go to West Ham, I think, even last year. but Turned him down. Uh, turned, turned him down, down I think, yeah. Yeah, because he's been like six seasons now with Swansea, but he's a, he's an underrated player and one that I think uh, could move on to big, bigger things. I mean, he's 29 now, so... <clears throat> Dope you know, back of the jersey name. K-I-S-Y, right? Yeah, it's a little weird. It's yeah. K-I space S dot space... Uh, S dot Y dot. I have to tell you something. I know you said that he, he has a... a proclivity for for uh lawn cutter goals but <laughs> if you were gonna you try and cut your lawn with his goals like you would never cut your fucking lawn like they, <laughs> you would just they, press the they're grass like, press like, the kind grass of like did he mean to shoot it at that angle or is that just like, like he shaped it off of his right. foot to be fair yeah. to be fair he has scored some screamers i mean he's Google some of his goals, though. I mean, he has scored some screamers no, for Swansea Celtic. City he played is, for Celtic. He played for Sunderland. He had, you know. There's like, a, there's been a couple of strange relegation. I mean, like the West Brom story has been kind of sad. The West West Ham had a little bit of a dead cat bounce with uh, with Moyes, and they climbed out of the relegation zone, but have seemed to have leveled off again. Newcastle has been their own worst enemy throughout the season. No matter how Rafa tries to set them up to defend, they they eventually get broken down by the better teams. But Swansea City has been kind of inspiring, where it's like, oh yeah, you can actually you can make your own luck. You can climb out of this hole uh, right above Swansea in the standings. And our last story today on Ringer FC. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> why is everybody laughing maniacally? Arsenal FC. I, I, I was I thought you were going to talk about Bournemouth. You said just above. Yeah, well, just, I mean, you're just closer to the bottom of the table oh, than, closer you are Swansea the than you are to City. Let's Seven, talk a little bit about Arsenal. And it actually, like, I for a while there was like, wake me when this is over. I'm I'm done with the Arsenal fan TV. Wenger out. The the scaloric screaming about style of play and whatever. But my God, they found a new low, Ryan. Like this is this is like they're just giving up across the board. And now they have to beat. They have to win the Europa League to have any hope of saving the season. The thing about the Europa League for me um, is that AC Milan 
is sort of on the exact opposite trajectory as Arsenal. Yeah. They've won six in a row. They have a insane, in the best way, manager uh, who everyone <laughs> seems to be behind. I don't know if he actually really knows what he's doing. But it just it to me it feels like, you know, just like a a a horse that just fell down on the track. <laughs> and and exploded. <laughs> um, but the thing the thing the thing about this, it feels like, you know, like half empty Emirates like booing Arsenal as they just limply it's just sad. I mean, it's honestly by Man City and then lose to Brighton. This is why Ferguson like, left when he left. Stories man. about Lauren Kinshelny like coming to tears in the locker room talking about how his kids like are asking him why Arsenal are so shit is like really depressing. That, that's what I was going to say that we've seen a lot of the frailties of Arsenal famously I guess over the past five, six, seven years but what's different about this season is there are so many leaks now, and that's really the sign of a of a kind of a a, a team in in turmoil. Ryan, like, they seem like they have the entire front office of Arsenal is ready for the moment that Wenger's gone. Like they've actually yeah. built up a relatively robust, you know, di- director of recruitment, and you know they have all the people in place, but yet still scared to break up. And they still scared, and and Wenger is now reportedly telling people he will not quit. He said he will. Uh, he, I He's always quit. He said, "quote unquote," I always, always honor, honor my, my contract, contracts. Right. And it's just kind of like, it, why is it still up it to you? It doesn't have to be like a moral thing either. Yeah, like, yeah. that's not what we're what we're dealing with now. Um, it was right there for him to win the FA Cup last year, walk out, and just ride out. And do you, Donnie? Do you like? So Wenger's not going to walk out. It doesn't seem like Stan Kroenke gives a shit this, what's happening with Arsenal as long as they're making money. So I guess if fans just stop coming, maybe that'll happen. But like, how did? I don't know how Wenger is gone actually before his contract runs out. Uh, like, yeah, well, I what's mean, the impetus for part, him? Like, yeah, what and that's partially because I don't know that there is a manager on the market. With the exception, maybe, and I wanted to hear from you guys about who you think should manage Arsenal next, which is, I guess we could just ask that every week. But there, I don't know that there is a manager who is such a difference maker that you move heaven and earth to do it. That was really embarrassing for United to have to get rid of David Moyes. You know what I mean? It was embarrassing for them to have to get rid of Van Hall. It, it, these these aren't decisions people t- necessarily take lightly with the exception of Roman Abramovich. Mm. So I wonder whether or not I don't know how much longer this can go on. You, if you start to get a half full Emirates, it was really cold during the City game. So that was part of the reason why people may have stayed home. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it has reached a tipping point. So, Donnie, let me ask you, who do you want to be the next manager of Arsenal FC? Anytime I've had this conversation, I've always said Diego Simeone of uh, Atletico. I know there's a lot of Arsenal fans that I know that are against someone like Simeone who famously plays a little bit of negative football, but his teams overachieve. And I think also he has the type of fire and and sort of motivational skill I think is lacking. And I think, you know, the, the team, the Arsenal team right now lacks for leaders. And I think having somebody like Simeone who, you know, the other teams may have a uh, higher priced talent uh, or better, even better players, but he knows how to organize his teams um, and, and to get results. So that's my choice. Micah? I think that's a solid choice um, because, I mean, like if you – well, an important facet of Diego Simeone is like, you know, soccer acumen is having like a set defense. Like, I mean, and Arsenal doesn't have that. 
but like and I don't to the extent that go well, I mean like he's not he's not available but I've it would be interesting to see what Maurizio Sarri could do with Arsenal um just because I mean he's actively disinterested in the transfer market he's just like I'm a banker and I'm going to turn Napoli into like a Serie A challenger right um it's the same answer that I had at this time last year it's Thomas Tuchel even though he doesn't get along with their new director of recruitment? I mean, that's... Get rid of the director of recruitment. <laughs> you know, like... It, it's... Tuchel, like, Arsenal's issue on the field. At this point, I, I feel like I can't... I can't judge the quality of any individual player on Arsenal because I feel like the system or the way they play, the lack of system, I should say, the way they play, it just, like... It's an indictment it on It plays Baker. up yeah. the weaknesses of everyone yeah. on the team. yeah. And, you know, we've, you know, Wenger's sort of thing is he has a style, but he doesn't have a system. And Tuchel is the guy to me that, considering the players Arsenal have and the style they play, he's the guy that can sort of plop a system onto that style. But you're right, the the um, contra temps with uh, the head of recruitment it's probably makes that. I think that uh, Arsenal fans need to fall back in love with their club. That is something I really, you know, found that, that I, I'm not a long-term enough soccer fan to feel like I've gone through in and out of, like, love with Liverpool. I mean, I've just always liked Liverpool. But the difference between uh, what Klopp has brought to the team and what past managers, uh, bef- you know, from, in between Rafa and Klopp, like, did is that they, you see a, pa- a passionate connection with the club. And to that end, I think that Arsenal should look into bringing back whether it's Henri or Vieira or some combination of Henri and Bergkamp or some kind of thing that is at once acknowledges what Arsenal became under Wenger but also looks forward and tries to modernize their tactical approach. Like I, I think that, that would be probably the best thing for the club. Speaking of past Liverpool managers, have you seen Brendan Rodgers' name? Uh, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers has mentioned his name. Yeah, in he's, been batting, he's been batting his eyes. Like, I love, I love to get back into all the stuff. After getting <laughs> dumped out of the Europa League by Zenit St. Petersburg. Guys, it's been a blast. Uh, we'll be back uh, soon. We'll probably be back for some more Champions League stuff in the, in the coming weeks. Until then, it's Micah Peters, Ryan O'Hanlon, and Donnie Kwok, and I'm Chris Ryan. Peace, peace. Today's episode of Ringer FC was brought to you by Bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years of experience, Bookmaker.eu is your online bookmaker for all your football betting needs. They offer live betting on matches and free same-day payouts. Plus, with their mobile betting, you can access your account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. No download is necessary. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC to join for free and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. U.S. bettors accepted.